Thanks, David. Please uh, have your Bibles open. If you've closed them, open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, as we look through verses 1 to 12 of that chapter. That would be great. Also, in your handouts, there's an outline of the talk um, so you can see where we're going. Um, or if you want to take notes, that's a great place to do that too. I want to start by sharing something about myself, something I'm pretty sure you'll all resonate with in some way. That was really good. Just spilt all the water all over here anyway, it doesn't matter. There you go, waterfall. Um, it's not that, that's not what I wanted to share, right? Um, but I love people noticing when I do things well, not like that, all right? I love people noticing when I do things well. I'm sure you do too. I suspect you do. A few Saturdays ago, I spent, the, uh, I spent most of the day in the garden mowing again uh, in the back garden, trimming our hedges, our little hedges that trim the border of our, that, that, uh, border our lawn, pulled the weeds out of the garden beds front and back, um, swept the path around the back of the house. Thank you so much, Beck. Hose the lawn. I didn't need to hose the lawn, actually. That's oh, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I swept the path around the back of the house, down the side, weeded some of the lawn, did some spraying of the lawn as well. It was a great day. You know, you two, headphones on, it was fantastic. Love being in the moment, spending the day in the backyard. Uh, Karina, was, my wife, was inside, busy studying. Uh, that day, and when I finished all the jobs, I went inside, I had a drink, then made sure that Karina noticed every single thing that I did. <laughs> we toured the backyard together. Uh, man, you should have seen the weeds in there. They were terrible, getting those out. And we chatted about the next few things that we would need to do, trimming the lavender front and back as well. We haven't done that yet. But whenever I do a job around the house, I have this irrepressible urge to make sure people notice. And I don't think I'm the only one. No. We love to please others, don't we? It's a huge motivation factor that those that we respect and love are happy with us, appreciate us, notice what we do, are pleased with what we do. We all love to be noticed by those that we care about. In the first verse, in the passage that we have before us today, 1 Thessalonians 4, we can see that we can actually please God. And I think that's a profound idea. Paul's already talked with them about what it means to live, to please God, and he wants them to do that even more, verse 1. And the way we live as people who trust in Jesus can please God or not please God. The way we go about our life can bring pleasure to him, warm his heart, uh, to put it, put it this way, put a smile on his face. I think we're more keenly aware that the way we can live can displease God that our sins can disappoint him, and they do. But here we see that our lives as followers of Jesus can please him. Does that surprise you? Don't you find that motivating? I certainly do. How would it change our attitude if every day we thought, started it by asking the question, how can I give God pleasure today? What a great thought. What is the life that pleases God? What is he looking for? What are the things we can do that can give him pleasure? Well, as we work our way through 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll see that the life that gives God's pleasure is a life of ongoing growth in holiness. That's what it is. 
So let's pray as we jump feet first into this great part of God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you've spoken to us so clearly. So now as we sit before you, as we listen to you, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would change our hearts. We pray that you would move us, that we will become more like our great Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it that pleases God? A life of ongoing growth in holiness. And you see that in verses 1 to 3. They've received instructions on how to live and please God. Paul's already commanded that to them when he was with them. And they're commanded, they obeyed. A relationship with God they've been living out, as we've seen in chapters 1 to 3 in our, in our walk through 1 Thessalonians so far. They have turned from idols and served the living God, and they continue to do that. Then in verse 3, we're told what this life that pleases God is like. For this is God's will, your sanctification, he says. That's what pleases God. God has a great plan for them and his will for them, his desire for them is that they would be sanctified or holy or more and more like him. And it's when God sees that being lived out in his people, it fills him with joy. It pleases him. And we see the same idea throughout the rest of the New Testament in Colossians 1. What is the life that pleases God? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's what pleases him. In Romans 12, what is a life that pleases God? Presenting your bodies as living sacrifices. That is holy and pleasing to God. Uh, in 1 John 3, what is it? What is this life that pleases God? Keeping his commands, doing what is right. That is pleasing in his sight. This life of growth in loving, joyful, thankful obedience to the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us, that pleases him. Holiness doesn't sound cool anymore, does it? You know, it sounds a bit boring. It sounds a bit drab. Uninteresting. I think for many people, holiness can be a bit like camping. How is it like camping? Let me explain. Um, you see, some people think camping's cool. Who, hand up here who thinks camping's cool. Yeah, a whole stack of people. That's great. Good on you. Um, you know, living in the great outdoors, in a tent, in the dirt, without a shower, with the kids running all over the place, coming back with sticks and stones and stories about what their brother did and then you go back home dirty smelly exhausted only to have to put that tent up again in the backyard to dry it out so you can go and do it again that sounds great doesn't it no that doesn't sound great so some people think holiness is like camping and added extra to the christian life and added extra to life you don't really need to do it but if you want to do it if you get off on it that's great no holiness is not like camping okay it's not an added extra to the Christian life. It's like eating. It's like breathing. It's like drinking. It's essential. It's essential for the Christian life. We can't live or grow without it. Now, Paul's not talking about holiness with the Thessalonians because they're unholy. They're not, you know, as if they're bad at holiness. No, as we've been looking through 1 Thessalonians so far, Paul is really happy with what he sees happening in the Thessalonican church. He's given him joy to see what's going on, but he wants them to keep doing what they're doing and do it even more. You see that in verse 1. You see it also in verse 10. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more, he says. Don't stop. 
Thessalonians, they're kicking goals. Paul couldn't be happy with where, they, where they've got to, but he doesn't want them to stop there and sit pretty and be confident in their own maturity, satisfied with where they're at in the Christian walk. No, he wants them to continue to grow, to change, to do this even more. If you trust in Jesus, how would you describe your Christian walk? What's it like? Are you growing? Are you tired? Are you feeling like giving up? Are you joyful, encouraged? Are you changing? Are you grumbling? Are you going through the motions? What's your Christian walk like? The Christian life is not one of complacency. It's not one of apathy. Christian growth and flourishing doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by the by. It needs to be deliberate. We need to be active, growing our knowledge of God, our understanding of what he said to us in his word and how to respond and appreciation of the wonder of what he's done for us and his forgiveness and his love and his compassion and seeking to grow in holiness. It doesn't just happen. You can't be passive in the Christian life thinking it'll just happen by the by because it doesn't. More on that later, but for the moment, just consider this. Like the Thessalonians, we live in a society that stands against God that is seeking to disciple us away from God's word, away from holiness. That's the world in which we live. If you're swimming against the tide, you can't go forward by floating. It doesn't work. You've got to swim if you're going against the tide. You've got to be active. It's the same in the Christian walk. And that's what Paul wants the Thessalonians to do. They've started well, they're beginning to grow, even in the midst of suffering and opposition. And he doesn't want them to stall, but to continue. And in the rest of the passage, we see three areas in particular he wants them to work on, which we'll work through in turn. Firstly, sexual purity. Secondly, loving one another. Thirdly, the surprising one, living the quiet life, whatever that is. Let's have a look at that when we get there. Firstly, sexual purity. Why does Paul pick up on this one first in particular? Was it an issue for the Thessalonian church? Was sexual immorality a problem for the church? Well, as I read through the letter, I don't get that impression. Not like the Corinthian church, if you were to read 1 Corinthians. However, like all churches across the Roman Empire, they lived in a society where sexual impurity was the norm. They lived in a culture marked and seared by sexual sin. He says in this passage that the Gentiles who don't know God The people they live in their city with, their their next-door neighbours, use their bodies and others to pursue their own lustful passions lacking self-control. That's what their society is like. They continually transgress against the bodies of others, taking advantage of others in order to fulfil their pleasures. That's what they do. That's what they're like. And this would have been the life most likely that many of them were saved from, how they used to live. And so their unbelieving friends would wonder, why don't you continue to do that? Why don't you do what we do? Pressure's on. Who are they going to to be discipled by? Their culture, their mates, or their Lord? Tell you what, that culture sounds a lot like ours, doesn't it? It's really no different. It hasn't changed a lot. Now, we looked at this when we worked through the Song of Songs uh, a number of weeks ago, but briefly, we live in a society that says that what Christians say about sexual purity isn't just quaint anymore, it's dangerous. It's repressive. 
To save sexual expression for the male-female marriage covenant suppresses what they say, suppresses natural desires and damages people's sense of self. Why do they say that? Essentially because sex has become about an expression of my own desires and my own person and my own inner being, of needs I have to have fulfilled. That's what sex is about. And what this passage tells us is that that approach to sexual endeavour, if you want to put it like that, sexual sin, actually transgresses the body of others. That's what he says. That's the language he uses, taking advantage of them for personal pleasure. What does Paul mean by that? Well, when we take sex outside of the security and the safety of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, we inevitably transgress the way that God designed it, the author of sexual expression, but we also transgress the bodies of others for our own needs and pleasures rather than serving the other in mutual sexual expression as God designed it within marriage. We transgress their future spouse in premarital sex. We transgress their actual spouse in adultery and ours as well. We transgress against them as we use their bodies for ourselves. Sex can be powerful and wonderful inside marriage powerful and destructive outside it. In, in verse 3, Paul said that God's will for us is our sanctification. In verse 7, he says that his calling for us is not to impurity but to holiness. To reject this call for active holiness is not to reject man, it's to reject God. He underlines it, doesn't he? The one who gives us his Holy Spirit. Living to please God more and more will mean actively pursuing sexual purity. Making the decision to be discipled not by our world, not by our mates, but by our God. The second way we're called to be challenged by God to continue to grow in our life pleasing him is in loving one another. Paul doesn't mention uh, brotherly and sisterly love for the Thessalonians because they're bad at it, because they're hopeless at it, as if they're, you know, bickering and fighting. In fact, he says, no, I don't really need to say much about this because I've told, I've told it to you before. And you're doing it, actually. And he mentions, verse 10, that they're showing genuine love, not just to one another in their own congregation, but to their brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia as well. Now, he doesn't give us any details of what they've actually done to make him say that. But let's just, here's a couple of options about what they might be doing. They might be helping the struggling Philippian church down the road with practical support. Maybe, maybe even visited. Some of them went there and reminded them of the wonder of the gospel that they both believe in. Maybe they sent out mission partnerships to neighbouring towns, loving, loving those communities, helping those gospel places, get, uh, churches get established, like Paul did for them. Maybe they heard about the floods in neighbouring Berea and actually sent help and care and helping the local Berean church care for and love their neighbours. We don't know. But Paul noticed what they did and mentioned it. <coughs> Sorry. Whatever Paul has heard, he loves it and he's encouraged by it. And I'm so encouraged to hear the many stories of brotherly and sisterly love here at OEC. Again and again I hear them. People giving meals to people in need again and again. I see people praying for one another after church together. It's just, that's just so wonderful to see, that act of brotherly, sisterly love. 
I hear of people asking hard questions in love and gentle rebukes received in love. I hear so many stories week by week and it really encourages me. To know of the way that so many people jumped at the chance to love those in Ugara who lost everything in the flood in any way that they could. And we need to continue to do that. I'm so encouraged to hear how so many people love the brothers and sisters that we're in gospel partnership with across the globe by praying for them, by sending money, by sending messages. So Chris and Steph in Chile, which we prayed for earlier, Jim and Tanya in Spain, Scott and Wendy in Singleton, Andrew Sennett, Leslie Pidgeon and, uh, at Bathurst Uni, with Ryan Bartram as well. I love to see the love of brothers and sisters here at Church of Four. But Paul still wants the Thessalonians to live that out more and more as one of the ways they need to continue to grow and grow in the ways that they seek to love and seek to please God. Unlike other passages on the need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul doesn't go then and unpack what this love looks like, like compassion and forgiveness and bearing with one another and kindness and patience. He simply says, you've been taught by God to love one another and calls on them to continue to do that. But as he mentions that they've been taught by God to love one another, he's reminding them that their love for one another needs to be modelled on God's love of them and motivated by God's love of them. Back in chapter 1, we saw that it was the gospel of God that brought this changed life for the Thessalonians. He's transformed them from people shaped by their culture and sinful desires to be people shaped by God's love for them in Christ. God's changed their hearts so that they love one another with the love God has shown them and he wants that to continue and grow in their hearts and let that word of God change them and move them and move their heart's desire. So before we go on to the final way that God wants to continue to grow us in our pleasing of him, let me ask you this. What can you do this week to grow in your love for brothers and sisters in Christ? What are you going to do? How are you going to grow it? Who can you encourage? Who can you pray with? Who can you talk with after church that afternoon tea this afternoon? Showing them Christian love because you know how much God has loved you. Could you email one of the missionaries that we pray for? Could you video call them? Who could you have a coffee with or a beer with? Someone you know that needs a listening ear and love them and let them love you back. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness of as an expression of Christian love? Growth in living in a way that pleases God doesn't just happen by the by. We need to be deliberate in it. We need to actively swim against the tide and be different because God has loved us and saved us to be different. So finally, the third one, we're to continue to grow in our life-pleasing God by living a quiet life. That's a strange one, isn't it? After speaking about brotherly love, verse 11, he wants us to live a quiet life, mind our own business, work with our hands. It just seems a bit random, doesn't it? Keep to yourselves. Is that what he's talking about? Is that what he's suggesting? Is he telling us that we shouldn't worry about sharing the gospel because that's being a busybody, so don't do that? Is that what Paul's saying? I don't think so. These commands can definitely be taken the wrong way. What Paul does not want is an individualism that fails to accept the care and concern and the gospel word of others. He doesn't want that. 
We see through the rest of the letter, he doesn't want that. That's not what he's looking at. Or, and he doesn't want a, an individualism that is not active in that same gospel love with people around them. He wants them to grow in that, doesn't he? These commands can be taken the wrong way. So what does he want? What does this quiet life that Paul has in mind look like? Well, actually, 2 Thessalonians helps us. Because it becomes clear when we read 2 Thessalonians that this command is something that some of them didn't obey. So this is from chapter 3. He says, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busybodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and to provide for themselves. He's really strong, isn't he? Give him a strong command. It seems like some have abandoned working, become more interested in the lives of others in the glory of God, and they're gossiping and they're slandering. They're not loving. It seems from 1 Thessalonians 4, going back to that, that for one of the reasons they might have been leaving work is because of a misunderstanding of how to respond to the coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because <coughs> in verse 13, that's exactly what he goes to next. More on that next week, but for now, it seems like some have stopped work and become dependent on others because they think, oh, Jesus is coming back, I can just give up work. And they're turning their attention away from the concerns of others, and they're becoming leeches. That's the sort of language that he uses. Verse 12 really helps us here. The reason why Paul wants them to live a quiet life, to mind their own business, to work with their hands, is because he wants them to behave properly towards those who don't yet know and trust Jesus. That's the issue. This would mean that if we're being busybodies or stopping work or living loud, if you want to put it like that, that such behaviour would not adorn the message of Jesus would be an inappropriate way to behave in front of those who don't trust in Jesus yet. A life that does adorn the message of Jesus is one that actively turns from idols and serves the living God waiting for Jesus to return, loving one another and keeping from sexual immorality. Genuine gospel-shaped concern for others is different from not minding your own business. Not minding your own business is self-centred, sticky-beaking that's motivated by curiosity to know others, how others are living and how that's different to you just because you want it. That's what Paul is speaking against. Gospel-shaped concern loves people for who they are and seeks to help them to know and love the Lord Jesus like you do because you know how great that is. Trawling through Facebook to concern yourself with the lives of others, to stick your nose in and let people know what you think, that's no way to love in the light of Jesus coming back. But lovingly listening, caring, giving, serving, sharing the reason for the hope that you have in the face of this broken world, that'll show that you have indeed turned from idols and are serving God and waiting for Jesus to return. So there's three ways that God pinpoints as areas of our lives that we need to continue to grow in. Actively seeking to change him. Always seeking to live out a life that pleases God. Sexual purity, loving one another, living in a way that adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the big point, as we've seen throughout this whole passage, is God wants us to be never satisfied with where we are in the Christian walk and to continue to grow. More and more, he says. 
Do this even more, he says, verse 1, verse 10. He wants us to refuse to be passengers, but instead be active, growing and changing. In all other areas of life, we get the idea that we always need to be growing, always learning. In our work, we need to be willing to learn and change and improve. In education, there's always more to learn and read and grow in. In sport, we train, we learn, we change in order to do things better. When I play board games with Karina, my wife, I'm always trying to improve, so finally I'll beat her, okay? So in all areas of life, we know we need to get better, and it's the same with our walk with God. shouldn't be different. Maybe you're here checking out the whole God thing, and you don't trust in Jesus yet. It's great to have you with us. What a great place to come and find out more. Let me say this. We want to grow in our relationships, in our careers, in our sports, in our personal life, in our hobbies, what we see here is that Christians are people who love Jesus and want to grow their relationship with God. Now, you might find that really appealing. It is really appealing. If that's the case, the first step is to start, is to accept a relationship with God that he offers to you. So don't leave the God question to the side. Bring it to the centre. Ask the questions, find good answers, read one of the accounts of the Jesus' life, death and resurrection because a growing relationship with God needs to start by accepting what he's done for you in Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that if you haven't already. For those of us who, are, who already trust in Jesus, we need to remember we never make it in the Christian life until we make it in heaven, as we saw in the kids' talk. If we've turned from idols, we now serve the Lord Jesus and while we wait for Jesus to return... We need to grow in our holiness in all areas of our life. Loving even more, owning sexual purity even more, adorning the gospel even more in the way that we live our life. So keep pushing on in the Christian life. Your life is one that can please God. Let that motivate you. How are you pushing on? How are you growing? What are you doing to grow your Christian walk? It might be that you... Serve in a way that takes you out of your comfort zone. It might be that in serving 2023, you already put your hand up to do that and are looking forward to next year when you'll start stepping in that way. That's great. It might be that you make deliberate effort to share the hope that you have with others and get equipped to do that. We'd love to help you do that. It might be that you begin by reading the Bible with someone one-to-one over summer. I know a great course that's going to help you to do that and love to hear from you. It might be that you, well, it will be, it should be, that we all get the help we need to grow in godliness because we all need help. In those areas of godliness we know have been a struggle and we need to grow in. Let's pray we would do just that. Father God, we thank you that you have saved us and made us your children. We pray that you would help us, those of us who trust in you, to not be passengers but instead be active in the Christian life to change, to grow in godliness, living a life that pleases you. We pray that you would do that great and powerful work by your spirit. Amen.